0: Hello and welcome to this Voices in Innovation podcast uh, from GigaArm, where I'm here to speak to us Panikar, Have I pronounced that right, I hope. It's close enough. Close enough, that'll do. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's move swiftly on and rubbish at names. Um, and uh, may, maybe let's move swiftly on to, to you introducing yourself. That would be a better way around. And, but just, just give us a bit of insight into, into, into what got you doing what you're doing these days and, and uh, you know, your, your kind of journey.
1: Sure, sure. Absolutely. So first, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I, I love talking about these topics and meeting with um, sort of just really brilliant and articulate people and and talking about my own experiences because who doesn't love talking about themselves? So uh, my name is Sahil Panikar. Um, I am a SAFE SPCT, which is a SAFE Program Consultant Trainer. So if you're familiar with the Scaled Agile Framework the SPCT certification is the highest level certification that they offer. Um, It sort of certifies this is a person who can manage an entire enterprise transformation um, and work your organization through the challenges that you will face of implementing a new way of working. Um, In addition to being a safe SPCT, I am a principal consultant at Project and Team, um, which is, One of the best consulting companies I've ever worked for. Um, We specialize in sort of federal spaces and uh, large scale enterprise transformation. And I'm also the managing director of Atlas Revolutions, which is another boutique consulting
0: firm. I I mean, presumably you didn't. i'm really worried now you it's like you love speaking to articulate people i'm just going to fumble right the way through the rest of
1: this um, no no the english accent really helps you know oh thanks
0: man yeah i shouldn't say man then should i say oh thank you sir (laughs) um i mean one doesn't become a consultant overnight does one how how did you kind of make the transition
1: No, so, so my, my personal journey was a little bit crazy. I was working as a data scientist at a medical technology company, and then um, it was a startup, and uh, things weren't going for me the way I had hoped they would when you joined a startup. Um, and while that company is doing very well today, and I'm very happy to see their success, I think it was, you know, I was ready to move on, and uh, I had just mentioned to a friend over dinner that I was, um, I was visiting my parents up in the D.C. area. I lived in Florida at the time. And so I, I met a friend that I hadn't seen in six years um, for dinner. And I was just telling her about my desire to move on. And she said, well, you know, we have an opening at my consulting firm. Have you ever thought about that? And, you know, I said, not really. Like, I'm a data scientist. I love big data and machine learning. And um, like, well, I think you'd be really good at it. And so, you know, I talked to her a little about it a little bit more. And at first I thought, you know what, I'm just just gonna take the interview because interviewing is always good, right? That's, by the way, that's just a personal philosophy of mine is that whenever someone offers me an interview, I do it just to get to know people and to keep that skill set up, right? Because I do believe interviewing is an important skill to have. Um, And then during the interview, I was like, wow, they're making this sound really cool. Uh, but I still I, I ended up they offered me the job and I took it thinking that I was just gonna do it for six months until I could find the data science job that I want. And I loved it. I just I loved every second of the consulting work. you know meeting new people, solving new problems and, and doing it in a way that was was exciting and meaningful. It's everything that I wanted out of a job and at some point you know, a couple of years later, I realized, you know, I love this so much. Why am I doing this for other people? And so mm-hmm. in 2018, I, this was in 2015. And then in 2018, I started my own consulting firm, Atlas Revolutions, and started partnering with other organizations like Project and Team. So um, my my journey into consulting was very uh, helter skelter if you will, right? It, it wasn't intentional. And then I really just found a place in that world. And and I have no regrets about leaving data mm-hmm. science behind, as much as that was a great technical background.
0: I think it, it it's one of those things to, to actually have had a technical background is is hugely powerful just because then you know what people are going through that are trying to deal with it. Yeah. So you don't just go in and kind of wave you know, your arms around and say, we should completely change the entire way that we model data in this. Okay. What, are you what? crazy?
1: No, it's so funny because I agree with you and I think most people agree with you. And if I go into an organization that needs help with business agility and sort of non-technology functions, they view my data science background as technical. But if I go into an organization that needs help with technology and with software engineering, they don't view my data science background as technical. They right, view okay. it as adjacent. Oh well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's really interesting.
0: I don't want to take this off on a tangent, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, all right, I, I, I think there's two kinds of people in the world uh, of tech. Um, yeah. And obviously, it's a massive generalization, but I'm an analyst, so I can do that. Um, and one is uh, you got data people, and the other is you've got process people. And I had a conversation with uh, an old colleague of mine, Neil Ward-Dutton about them actually being, it's like a particle. Is it a wave? Is it a, has it got mass? You know, they're two sides of the same thing. Data gives, yeah, process generates data uh, and and data drives process and so on. Uh, But um, definitely there's two different mindsets and process people don't get data people. They don't see it as important. And data people think process people are just kind of waffly enterprise architect types. what the heck, you know? So it, it's fascinating.
1: I, yeah, I totally agree, and you know, as the former data guy, I will say, you should be making more data-driven decisions. Right? Everybody needs to do that.
0: Should, sh- shouldn't they just? Shouldn't they just? <laughs> But that's where it gets fascinating because I, I mean, I, I was working on a um, it was a, a paper, but it was based on interviews and so on about how uh, the CFO should be more data-driven. This was years ago. And you kind of think, well, why why wouldn't they be? That they're, they're literally, you know, they're they're running the financial flows. Everything is about that. it, it's all data, right? But yeah. then you still see so many, or back then and and now it's still just so much gut feel, so much kind of no, I know what I'm doing. You know, I have got this.
1: I, I'm 100 percent with you. And it's so funny because I'm constantly looking for new ways to communicate that frustration to executives and to the people that I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, um i've recently started leaning into a sports metaphor um and 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 for a lot of people it works really well and not everybody's into sports so it's not a universal but I, i see a lot of frustration from people like when they watch american football right they watch the nfl and they say why don't more people go for it on fourth down or why don't they go for two after a touchdown and the data actually supports it. Like if you if you have coaches making data driven data driven decisions, you'll get more teams going for it on fourth and three or fourth and four as opposed to punting the ball away because the data actually shows they're likely to convert. Right. And so it's really really interesting when you start to if someone is willing to buy that, right? They they express frustration and then. I use that metaphor and they say, you know what? You're right. You know, Andy Reid should have used data-driven decision making in the Super Bowl. And I'm like, OK, all right. So now let's talk about how that applies to your company.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's a shame um, that, that there's a reality that if everything was data-driven, everyone would hate it as well. I, I'm thinking you know, if you want to make a hit single, uh, i'm a great advocate of uh, what's his name now brian tracy uh, has written a whole bunch of uh, business books self-help books etc but essentially he's got his shtick is all about cause and effect and, and what he says mm-hmm. is if you want a certain effect find out what causes that effect do the causes and you're more likely to get that effect it, 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 it's literally that which is which is what you're saying um right. so if you if you want to make a hit single don't get creative. Get kind of okay. What are the elements of a hit single? Put those elements together. Just yeah. and then it's a numbers game. Keep doing that, and you will get a hit eventually. You know, it's,
1: it's it's. I love that you use that example because just the other day I was reading. I don't know if you remember. There's that single "Old Town Road" by Lil Nas X that came mm-hmm. out. I said, man, I guess that was two years ago now. Um, but that was everywhere for a while. They used it in the Rambo trailer and you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it on the radio. And it turns out that he, he literally did that. You know, he, he spent months manufacturing interest in his song, right, by, by releasing clips of it on Twitter, along with, like he would, he would post some meme or something and he would have that song be the background and and like just a 3 second clip of it so that people were saying wait what song was that
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: right over and over and over again and he, he literally engineered that song to have all the elements of a hit single and over months he manipulated the entire world into loving his song
0: it's it's and it's really it's brilliant it's literally yeah, uh, data driven there you go that's yeah. it's maths he he just yeah. Instagram met- instagramers do it so well um you yeah know, it's literally just keep getting you yeah, spin that wheel faster and faster and so that's that that's the background um we, uh and uh the I, I i guess the question is um segueing a little bit so it's been a really really interesting year it's been a horrible messy year for many organizations um 20, 2020 um and it ain't over yet. Hopefully, we're, we're seeing the, um, the the first buds of uh, some kind of spring start to emerge, um, but so much has been learned uh, over the past year uh, around how people can think differently about how they run their businesses, how digital transformation stops being a nice-to-have and starts being a need-to-have, um, and and so on, and so on, and so on. And I, I'd just love to know kind of your your net-net take on, on the whole year and, and what you really think people have kind of, that you've been helping have, have, have got out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just talking about a loaded question.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about music and then give me an entire business strategy.
1: Right, right. Well, luckily, that's what I do for a living. So I mean, talking about music, not the business strategy. Um, you, you know, you're absolutely right. We, we have seen this massive investment in digital transformation over the last year, right? And being, I, I don't even need to talk about why digital transformation is important, despite the fact that in 2019, that was probably 80% of what I talked about because organizations didn't understand the value of that investment. But now mm-hmm. we've all been living it for a year, right? We, we understand how hard it is to stay connected and productive and aligned when everybody is working remotely right and you need digital transformation in order to enable your people to be successful in this world so so when we talk about how is it gone right it's sort of important to separate two types of organizations we have organizations that were able to go 100% virtual or 99% virtual or 95% virtual, however you want to describe that. And they're the ones that will, you know, they receive tremendous benefit from digital transformation. Uh, They invested in a little bit of cloud infrastructure and they were able to carry on business as usual. Uh, I have a few clients like that and we can talk about that. But what I think is really interesting is those really, really big or complex organizations that were not able to go 100% virtual. Um, And so I I can't get into super specific details about some of my clients because they're in the defense space. Um, But what I can say is that I have clients that are in the cyber physical world, right? They're building uh, hardware products that have tremendous software components, right? Whether it's just inner interconnectedness Like the internet of things or it's hey we have i mean just imagine you know we just landed the perseverance rover on mars right and so think about something like that that's a gigantic piece of hardware but the software to be able to communicate with it and um you know make Mm -hmm. changes and dynamically react as we get you know knowledge from mars that's tremendous yeah
0: it needed more than 640k of ram i'm pretty confident
1: (laughs) probably just a little bit more um so yeah, so we're we're building systems like that, super complex, uh, highly regulated, um, and where it gets really interesting is that in a lot of cases classified, right? And so what you might discover is that for a lot of organizations, all they have to do is adopt a little bit of cloud infrastructure, and they can invest in Zoom or Webex or something, and and people can you know hey I did some work, I pushed it to the cloud, and it's good but with classified material, you can't just do that, right? Mm -hmm. You need classified networks and security around that communication. And so the first thing um, we did in, in that kind of environment was make a significant investment into being able to work remotely, right? We had to build the infrastructure to be able to do our work, right? And that's, it's something that, we got maybe a little bit of pushback on at first just because it was a significant investment. We didn't budget for this. Right. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that light bulb goes off that, Hey, we're not going to be able to do anything mm-hmm. if we don't make this investment, right. You realize that's the right thing to do. And you just start working. And, so, and,
0: and to, to be clear, the, um, you're, you're working with in, in kind of high trust, zero trust environments. Um, so yeah. you say lots of classified material, a lot of the things that uh, more general organizations are dealing with, like in, in application secrets management, or, you know, just, uh, whether or not to use VPNs and so on, they're, they're semi optional uh, in that you've, you've got to do them, but it's, there's yeah. always that conversation of, do I have to? And so you're going, you know, there's a little bit of game
1: but around. It, the house like, of- yeah, like absolutely. Who hasn't in a general organization emailed yourself a work document from your work, to your person Just, right? Yeah, wasn't
0: where, better, right whereas so the, the the stuff that you've been working on it, it that this right. stuff is mandatory but then that yeah. also gives you it applies to the general organizations because it says look if you're if you're wanting to do everything absolutely right this is what right looks like and therefore, you can, and then you can flex from from what you know absolutely right looks like. So it, it gives you the the kind of the template. It gives you
1: the blueprint. Yeah, you're 100% right. This this is what the best practice would be. This is yeah, what exactly. perfect looks like. Right. This is how you have, you know, if you're worried about corporate espionage or or anything like that. This is what you would do. You would make mm-hmm. this investment into secure communication networks.
0: And, and it. It also becomes the starting point rather than the end goal. So we can talk about trust, for example. uh, And I did some work on um, uh, cloud. (laughs) That sounds ridiculous. I did some work on cloud. Like, yeah, everyone's (laughs) done some work on cloud. Let me let me let me uh, make that a bit more specific. I I was doing some reporting on the needs for cloud providers uh, to, in order for adoption to to increase. And one of the big things that came up was trust. As a, how how do you how do you trust your cloud provider? But then you go, well, what does trust even mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, everything from uh, responsiveness to service requests through to do they do backups through to is it is it compliant? Through all of those all of those things need, need to be checked. So you've your best practice kind of doesn't start doesn't end there it starts with those things
1: yeah yeah and and that's why these things end up becoming sort of part of the company culture i have i have a colleague um jeff Schupak and project and team who always likes to say when does you when does your digital transformation end right and and hopefully your answer is it doesn't right when are you going to stop investing in cloud infrastructure when are you going to stop investing in uh, more efficient technology systems, in networking, in security, in um, microservices, in, in cloud-based architecture. Like, you should never stop investing in those things because technology keeps changing, right? Mm-hmm. And we're always going to find new ways, and hopefully better ways, of doing those things, right? And so, theoretically, your digital transformation should never end, and that, that, that is a cultural attitude that we have to embrace that it's not a conversation that starts and stops with, okay, what's the investment? How much is it going to cost and how long will it take?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: Right? Because if you're looking at it that way, you're kind of stuck in that old project mindset and you're not realizing we're in a new world. We're in a new way of working where it's not, okay, how long is it going to take? It's what do we need to do to enable future success? Mm-hmm,
0: uh-huh, mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: And so that that would be, I just want to highlight that, uh, that sort of summarizes that, what I would say is my first key learning from the last year, which is you have to invest in your success. Mm -hmm. You're not just going to get it for free, right? You can't just send an email and say, hey, everybody use this VPN and we're good, right? You're going to have to invest actual time and money into enabling your future success. And you just got to get okay with that.
0: And so that, I mean, that's not just an investment of money. That's an investment of kind of, you've got it it, not onboarding, how how to put this. It's, you're going to have to accept that nothing can happen overnight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That To get value out, you have to put something. Yeah, I, I
1: will tell you that one of the biggest roadblocks to successful transformation that I see, and this is whether it's general or cyber physical or agile transformation or DevOps or security transfer, whatever. This is just uh, general to all transformation. Every leader loves change until they have to change themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? I cannot tell you how many times I have gone into an organization and worked with a C-level executive or one level down from the C-level who said, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. All right tell me what everybody needs to do. And then they'll send out an email and say, here's what you guys have to do now. And then I'll say, and here's what you have to do. And they say, oh, wait, wait, I thought nothing was going to change for me. Right? But they say, I still want my, you know, weekly status reports and um, budget cycles and forecasting models and whatever else, right? They're like, I want to keep doing what I did that enabled me to get into my position, right? I was so good at that. And I was so successful at that, that I'm now the, You know, CFO of this company. I don't want to change. Right.
0: That's, that's really interesting. There's a, there's a, I'm going to, I'm going to fess up here. There's a standard thing that we say uh, as a kind of blocker to progress, which is, uh, have you got management buy in or, you know, board level buy in or CXO? And it's always about buy in. And, And to your point, it's like, oh, they've just got to agree that their minions have to do some stuff this is that it's not about buy-in it's about them kind of yeah. accepting that they're going to be the ones that are doing the work and doing the shifting of
1: 100 so I, I will say i've also been guilty in the past of saying do you have management buy right before i take a contract or as soon as i go into a new client and we're starting to do a transformation i have said do you have you know x's buy-in Do you have so-and-so's buy-in and i have changed my language now i said mm-hmm. what is their commitment right that's that's the question i'm now asking is what is management's commitment is
0: mm-hmm. their
1: commitment just that they will support in finger quotes support the transformation or is their commitment that they will actively participate they will attend meetings they will um get feedback and make decisions mm-hmm. right? i,
0: I- I want to get because you said that's just your first uh, uh, learning, uh, and I want to get to the second one. But before I do, do you know the expression about the chicken and the pig? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, yeah. It,
0: it, it's that one, and and for the audience out there, I hope everyone's heard this before. But it's the chicken and the pig and the eggs and bacon. So the, the chicken's involved, but the pig's committed. And what I've been guilty of is just checking for involvement and not checking for commitment. That's uh, Right,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. The I will story take that the lesson on board. Um, yeah, absolutely. So what we're trying to do, right, is make sure that everybody's a pig. You're committed to making breakfast, right? You're not just involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, to your point, let's go back to some of my other key learnings around working in, in this environment. Um, again, in this context of being in classified environments and cyber physical systems, we had to recognize that some people just have to be on site, right? And that you can call it essential if you want to, but there are some people that because the work could only be done in secure sites. Right. The because you can't take any of the knowledge out of the room. You can't connect it to an external machine to send it to your email or anything like mm-hmm. that. So you have to be in a secure facility to do the work. And that means unless we are going to invest in making everybody's home offices secure, which don't get me wrong. It is something that we talked about. Um, people have to come on site. And so Good. we had to make another investment in how do we do that safely? Mm-hmm. Right. And we had to, you know, cause that's another thing that I will say, I, I worked with some organizations that kind of said it's up to the individual to be responsible, right? It's, We need them on site. This is their job. They have to come in. And I will say that the most successful organization, the most successful organizations are the ones that said, okay, yes, we need these people to come in, but we have a responsibility to make it as safe as possible for them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because someone who's worried about whether or not they've just contracted an illness or a virus is not focused on the job. Right? If we want their best effort, we need to make sure that they're not spending any mental cycles on, oh man, have I made a huge mistake by coming into the office? Mm-hmm. Right, and so we made an investment, and it's, it's obviously it's not perfect, right? You cannot one hundred percent guarantee a quarantine safe space, right? But what we what we did do is made it so that you only had to come in when it was absolutely essential for you to do that. So we. Got really good at having conversations around classified subjects, right? So everyone knows what you're talking about. You just can't say the words, right? And then when it was time to build a prototype or um, when it was time to plug something in, someone would go in, and we offer testing. We offer you know hand sanitizer stations. We offer masks. We offer um, all of that to increase their their safety on site, and we encourage you know if you have been out in the world don't come in we'll find someone else to do it if you have a potential exposure don't come in we'll find someone else to do it right and so that is another investment in cross training mm-hmm. right we we put more effort into making sure that other people are able to step in if needed maybe not at the same quality level but good enough to get us to our next round of
0: tests so well, that um so that, that you've triggered three thoughts and I'm, I'm kind okay. of clearing them up. I'm bound to forget number three. So I'll get them out of my head first. The first is low code solutions. The second is risk. And as I said, I've forgotten the third, but I'll come back to it. <laughs> um, but uh, we, I've been doing uh, a lot of work around, oh yeah, the third is champion skeptic. I'll, I'll come back to that one. Um, so um, the, I've been doing a lot of work with, with a colleague with Michael Deltzer uh, uh, around uh, low code at the moment. And I know a lot of the low code vendors have released products now very quickly that are exactly that they're, they're the checklist of, you know, should you go on site kind of checklist. Um, and, and that can be very helpful to people. So that I'll get that one out of the way, the um, champion skeptic I'll mention a uh, second, because if this is about change management, um, it's a minor claim to fame of mine. Uh, but when we, when I was working on a secure site, uh, helping with network management systems, um our job was essentially how we could move to a non-remote operating model, i.e. a lot of network equipment is out on remote sites, and you don't want to be going off to multiple remote sites to manage it when you can do it all from a, a NOC, you know, Networks Operations Center. So so we were doing it the other way around. And you're absolutely, so you can't move to 100% remote model anyway, because complexity because yeah. you know, it's not just safety it's just you know, some stuff can't be done remotely old old equipment can't be operated remotely it's it's as simple as that uh, however much you try to screen scrape or you know rs232 yeah. links to it or, or whatever and and also yeah you know, some jobs are just kind of you're not adding any value by doing it remotely um, and uh, but then that so the question to you I guess uh, but uh, almost a statement but kind of a question but it, I'm guessing a lot of this ultimately boils down to kind of a broader view of risk management. So you've got the risks of what you're trying to do in the first place. You've got the risk. Uh, so the, the business risk of allowing something to, to, to go down because you're not able to operate it, um, you know, and, and therefore you, you get downtime. The operational and security risks of doing that in a, in a secure environment. So you've got to document that and think about that. And then also the, the human risks of you know personal safety and, and health and, and so on and so forth. So I'm kind of riffing a little bit, but I'm thinking if all of these different areas are, are as columns in your risk register, then you're right. So for example, uh, to say someone someone's health is, uh, the probability of get someone getting ill is relatively low. The impact is infinite. So, so you have to do something about that. You have to treat it very seriously. Uh, and meanwhile, the, the probability of um, uh, not being able to manage something because someone isn't on site is, is high. And, and, and the impact is also medium because uh, you, know, you really don't want to be wait, wasting time fixing it, trying to fix it remotely, et cetera. So it's all.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's almost exactly the calculation that we had to do. Right. And and I don't want to say that our learning as much as in hindsight it should have been super obvious, we we had some some learning opportunities that led to these conclusions. Right. We very early on we made a mistake and we we had an issue where we said, look, the if we're doing temperature checks and everybody has masks, it should be fine to send the team on site. And our whole team got COVID. Right. <laughs> and so not only did we make that like, we, we gambled, right? We said that we thought the risk was low and the, the impact of, of this situation not being resolved was high. So we, we made the decision. We said, you know, we didn't mandate it, but we said, if you're comfortable, we need you on site. Mm-hmm. And the whole team got COVID and then everybody was out for, because again, they can't work from home. Like they cannot, and this was early enough that we didn't even have the, the, the communication infrastructure in place. So when they all had to stay home because they actually were sick, um, mm-hmm. literally no work got done for three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the risk model, I'm not going to say it led us down the wrong path. We just didn't have all the right information. No, no,
0: no. no yeah. No, 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 yeah. No.
1: And, and it's, it's impossible. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we, we, based on that situation, we had some learnings, obviously. And what we've now realized is we're never going to send the whole team on site at once ever mm-hmm. again, Right. What we have done now is we have a, more alignment conversations where the team is all on the same page, but we're really sending in 25 to 30 percent of the team on any given day so that some stuff is getting done, but we're minimizing cross-contamination exposure kind of
0: and this, opportunities. And this is why the risk register has to be a living document, because you discovered something <laughs> new, you dealt with it, and uh, and you evolved to, yeah. to, uh, to, to manage it. Yeah, I mean, and uh, uh, don't beat yourself up. By the way, it, these these are such weird times. <laughs> <think> yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> um, yeah, well, and everybody's fine now, right? And and, we, and thankfully, I mean, again, we don't know the long term impacts of COVID, but we know that nobody died, which is great. It was about bonus. And, uh, yeah. And everybody seems to be healthy, right? And good. that's good. that's good, right? So for us, um, we feel we're grateful to have had the learning opportunity and we're super grateful that nobody got hurt. Well, um, we're, we're doing more now to minimize those impacts. But that's that you know was key learning number three, right? Which is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Or, or
0: good segue. You know, set,
1: it, set it more eloquently. It's not everybody needs to be everywhere at once, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay if we plan for a slightly longer timeline to minimize that human and health risk, right? Because the the project risk of something going wrong, even if it's not likely, turned out to be super high, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Just everybody got sidelined and we weren't able to get anything done. Um, but,
0: and that that reminds me of the um, uh, all too frequent story. I was involved in a medical uh, startup as well. Um,
1: oh wow! Okay.
0: And uh, uh, I won't go into that one, but one thing I I actually heard it from the horse's mouth when I was working with a, a healthcare organisation over here. They said, "Oh yeah, for our mainframe systems, there's, there's two guys that can't go in the car at once. They're not allowed to travel together." You have the bus problem. Because yeah, if if, if one of them, yeah, if, if we lost both of them, uh, we wouldn't be able to maintain that system. And you're like, seriously? You're a healthcare organisation. Uh, like so. Um, yeah
1: yeah i've definitely heard that described as the bus problem before it's it's one of those learning opportunities that says hey how many people would it take if your company was traveling together and got the car got hit by a bus for you to be completely um you know sidelined, right and if if it's two you've got a problem right Mm -hmm. because that means there's too much specialized knowledge in your company
0: that that's uh, yeah that's one for the risk register definitely So, so that's one two three um
1: yeah, so, so let, me, let me tie right into this conversation around, okay, not everybody needs to be in the office at once. We needed to figure out how do we enable not needing that, right? How do we make it so that we don't need everybody at once? Because before we did. And so going back to learning number one, which was we need an investment, we made a specific investment into digital modeling and prototyping, right? And so being able to do that Right? We're building complex cyber physical hardware based systems, mm-hmm. but if we don't do all of the testing on the physical model, right, if we can do some digital modeling that we can run initial tests on, it gives us opportunities to get the work done remotely and so, then come in good.
0: Uh, so I don't want to interrupt you, but I've done it anyway. So uh, uh, what, what, what is this? Is, is this simulation systems? Is this uh, just uh, yeah, paper-based? Is this literally kind of drawing stuff up and testing uh, that? Well,
1: all of it. I mean, it's, it's really all of that. And it, it's, it's sort of your phases of modeling that you go through, right? So we started out with you know, just paper-based two-dimensional drawings and you know, sort of some theory. What is, if we did this, what would that look like? But mm-hmm. then we started to invest into 3D modeling, right? And so you can start to actually design a system, um, and and imagine the hardware components that go into it, just like just like an architect or um, a mechanic might use CAD mm-hmm. to design something. We could do that, but then you can start to do architectural modeling, right? Which shows your your architectural components. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I've used architectural in two different contexts now. Originally, when I say it was talking was about he? CAD, I meant a builder, an architect. And yeah. Now I'm saying software architecture or technology architecture modeling, right? Gotcha. So you yeah. can you can start to um, look at, okay, what are the, the databases, networks, security components? How are they communicating with each other? Um, here's the physical component. This is tied to this software component via this technology. And then this integrated system all the way over here uses a different technology. How do we tie those together? Are we using APIs? Are we using um, some sort of unique uh, remote um, networking system, whatever that might be, right? So so you can build those models. And then if you have smart enough technology, right, in your modeling systems and softwares, you can run hypotheticals, right? You can look at your failure points. You can look at
0: mm-hmm.
1: if we made this change, how would that impact the rest of the system? Um, so the need for that kind of software is, is really high. Um, it just, you know, um, there's no, I don't, I don't want to get into a tools conversation specifically, um, but I will say that there's n- nothing out there on the open market today that does everything that I'm talking about. Um, there are a couple startups out there that are getting there. Um, and then there's a bunch of, you could use like a tool stack to achieve these results. Um, I'm working with a startup called triple-dot engineering that has an architectural modeling system Mm -hmm. uh, that they're prototyping called Lunar, um, which I am really excited about. Uh, I don't know that it will be useful on a large-scale enterprise um, in the next couple weeks, but hopefully, you know, it's something that large enterprises will be able to adopt in 2021 that Mm -hmm. will allow them to do some of this initial early phase testing for cyber physical systems and
0: it kind of well there's a couple of directions it kind of reminds me of what one is the kind of uh uh jama software uh, that do the kind of requirements management but then they go into cicd uh yeah kind of stuff uh, but then also you've got things like the the infrastructure as code terraform you know puppet chef kind of stuff uh which enables you to kind of
1: yeah, so combining those things would be that tool stack that I'm kind of talking about, right? It. That would create, like, you'd have the ability to go from system to system and say, all right, between these things, we have an idea, right? If we look at the visual model over here and then look at the CI/CD tool over here, um, we can kind of see how that downstream impact will play.
0: Yeah, no, I, I well, interestingly, and and it's a complete digression, so let's not go down this rabbit hole. But uh, uh, I, I'm fascinated to see where the CI/CD type tools are going next, because they're looking to create umbrella structures over the top. They use you know, value stream management or you know, uh, uh, terms about the governance layer. Yeah. But actually, yeah. I've got more. The whole requirements to value. Mm. thing doesn't it doesn't exist in a solid way there's a couple of vendors that do the collab yeah, yeah. yeah
1: i mean you can see um product life cycle management tools are going the same way right that they have like jira is probably the single most common team management yep. tool out there right and they started off just for individual teams and then they created jira portfolio extensions and they wanted you to buy this add-on so that they can help you manage your entire strategic investment. And then like you said, CollabNet version one is out there. They're a phenomenal tool for whole portfolio, lifecycle management and visualization. Um, and it, yeah, to your point, it's just how those, those technologies have changed over time is sort of driving how the deployment and CICD tools are moving as well because they're going to want them to integrate and they're yeah. going to want them to you you're look there's no organization that's not going to want one tool that will do everything right? and so i think that's where we're going to see things go is these massive integrations between
0: we we did this a couple of decades ago and we'll, <laughs> we'll do it yeah we're ripe for that consolidation to happen yeah. i'm sure and uh, as I say it's a bit it's a bit of a rabbit hole but it's um, I think it's fascinating just to reflect on the fact that there is so much complexity caused by the the tools that are supposed to help right now and or, I speak to organizations and they say we don't want to be the best in the world at managing the tool sets we want to be the best in the world at doing online travel or uh, mm-hmm as you say, building space shuttles or, or whatever it is, uh, that, that's what, that's where we want to have our expertise. So,
1: so uh, I, I'm going to jump in here because there's, there's a, uh, a little mantra that I have that it's kind of shocking how I've had to pull it out at every client I've ever gone into, which is don't let your tool drive your behaviors. Mm-hmm. You need to use your tool to enhance your goals
0: Otherwise it's the wrong tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Literally over and over again, I go into an organization and I hear someone say, well, this is what we need to do to make this work in JIRA or to make this work in version one or rally or whatever tool they're using. They're going to say, well, we can't, I get that that's what we're supposed to do, but because we're using rally, we have to do this instead. No, stop. Right. If, if you have to compromise your execution process for your tool, just don't use your tool for that. It's not the right tool,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: right? That tool it has many great purposes, but for whatever specific action or outcome you're trying to create, there's another way.
0: I, I quite agree, and I've had that fight with yeah, way back in SAP days when it was all ERP, and they said, yeah. "Don't worry about how your business, how you want to operate your business. Do it the way SAP tells you to operate your business." And of course, you can get you can that if if you're if, um, if you're building a if you're running a warehouse, there's going to be a best practice of how to run that warehouse. And mm-hmm. but it's not it, it's not the eighty percent; it's the twenty percent that actually differentiates you. Because a pharmaceutical warehouse is going to be different to a so and so. That and and to just assume they all have to fit exactly the same mold is is what's Broken businesses in the past. Anyway, anyway, we need to we need to get on. This is turning into quite a long podcast. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, sorry I'll, about I'll that. I so. just love
1: to talk. I'm no, sorry. no, no,
0: no. You, it, it's I. I clearly, I, I, think it takes two to tango on this stuff. Um. So, so that's number four. Um. Um. And uh. And 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 I believe there's five. So so yeah. yeah uh,
1: okay. So let me just let me just jump right in. The fifth key learning is, um, strategic planning. Requires everybody. It requires dedication across your business functions. If you are just working with a portfolio on specific, like you're creating your quarterly roadmap or your annual roadmap, whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. you decide this is our goal. This is what we're going to do. And then three months later, legal comes in and says, wait, you can't do that. How come nobody told us you were doing this? Or um, you are trying to get, these resources and people work on this specific project, and HR comes in and says, "You can't do that; they're already allocated to that." Right, and so people forget all the time that your supporting business functions are as important to delivery as your delivery organization. Right, and so when you're going to sit down and plan, in order to come up with a an actual feasible plan that is realistic you just need everybody at the table
0: yeah and um uh, back to an- another well 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 trodden uh thing that i've banged on about in the past uh is it's also about the it, you you can set out what you need to do in order to be successful but you also t- need to remove the things that are going to cause you to fail mm-hmm. and often it's missing people out and then thinking oh well they'll just accept you know uh they're only the ops team. They'll just accept uh, what what we tell them, and then the ops team go, "Well, I can't manage that," and you go, "Oh, I suppose we should have spoken to you six months ago."
1: <laughs> right, and then it's okay time for emergency replanning. Yeah, right? yeah, and we don't we don't want to do that, right? And so, what we I, I'll just tell you to make it a little bit more specific. What we did was we had a planning session, and because it was virtual instead of taking two days, like we usually would have done free virtual environment, we scheduled it for three days to give us a little bit more time, but we invited all those people, but didn't make them mandatory, right? And then, so they didn't come. And then when we needed them, they weren't there or they were in other meetings. So what we have learned is it needs dedication right when we do these when we have these conversations and again i'm talking high level you know annual road mapping or quarterly planning sessions we need representation and we need them present right it's not enough to just say okay we've identified a person who's your point of contact it's we need them present listening right how about be proactive and have operations listening for when they need to get involved as opposed to letting us do the whole plan and then going and telling them
0: yep absolutely 100 percent saves time in the long run
1: yes uh, exactly it saves so much time in the long run that's that's the craziest part it probably saves two or three times as much time as people think it will
0: so it's all about risk again
1: yeah well yes so. and that's it's it's funny that we keep coming back to risk because that's another thing that i always like to say especially like like i said at the beginning right i'm i'm a safe guy, the scaled agile framework. That's that's my bread and butter. It's what I like to do. I believe it has solved most of the problems that large organizations experience. Um, and I say, look, the this framework, this scaled agile framework exists to reduce your risk. That is the mm-hmm. function that it has, right? Mm-hmm. There's only one place we create value. We create value in the development organization, right inside the teams, the teams that build software, services, and systems. Everything else we do, all the planning, the operations, the support, the um, robot, all of that is designed to hold up the value creation. But none of that has any inherent value on its own, right? And so everything we do is designed to minimize risk and enable those people to actually create value. And I will tell you, that's one of the hardest conversations I have with leaders because they always want to take credit, mm-hmm. right? They always want to say, I did this. And I always have to go in and say, you created the environment, but they did this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's back to the old Statue of David thing again. Uh, <laughs> you know, this one, Michelangelo uh, was asked, how did he make yeah. the Statue of David? I, I haven't I, heard this one. He said he just removed all the rock that wasn't David, and uh, <laughs> which is fair enough. Okay. I,
1: <laughs> all right, uh, I like that.
0: <laughs> but based based on the, what what you just said, I, I think I think that's 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 a great way of uh, summarizing this and uh, making it all about the value. And, and absolutely, we're we're just we're just providing the the rock or removing yeah. the rock that isn't necessary. So. I, I think I'll wrap up there. Sahil, it was fantastic speaking to you. And uh, um, I look forward so much to speaking to you again. And uh, um, the, the, there's so many other rabbit yeah. holes we could have. <laughs> so uh, this is not it's, over.
1: It's, it's very clear that we have more to talk about. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, this was so much fun and I can't wait for the next one.
0: Okay, yes, cheers. <laughs>